you know, what I want to know is, is how, how does one get involved in doing rock work as a woman? Do you really, really want to know? Or do you just want the rehearsed response that I always give? What would happen if we chose to really tell the truth about ourselves? Like if we really, really just told the real truth of our lives. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm saying that it's my truth. You're listening to him. After returning home from being in the, quote, harmonic egg, I got home and I was really curious about what had just happened. And so I googled the harmonic egg and I found the lady that had invented it. And uh, her name is Gail Lynn. She's out of Boulder, Colorado. And I found an interview on YouTube from the Gaia Network, where she was being interviewed by some lady named Meredith somebody, I don't remember her last name, but she did an interview with her, and I listened very closely, and this Gail lady had been like a Hollywood uh, filmmaker, she was in the movies, I don't really know exactly what she was doing, but she was pretty young, and uh, maybe 40, 42, and had suffered a, a major heart attack and from stress, apparently. And so she went on to explain how, you know, basically half her heart had almost died and she was in this horrible place and wanted to heal and had done some research and had actually come upon some sort of sound vibration kind of therapy box or something like that. I can't totally remember what it was, but she had she had come across a system that had some healing properties, but it it started her on this quest to understand sound and light vibration, sound and light vibration therapy. So through her research through different instruments, musical instruments, light, color, this whole frequency thing, right? Sort of tying in with quantum physics. And as I listened to her, you know, and her experience, I really resonated with this because everything she was talking about, I kind of felt when I was in there, I felt like something was inside of my cells almost. There was something vibrating or something internally. I cannot explain it, but I knew on some level 
that something was happening. And especially with all these like clear visions that I was having, I was I was just really impressed with with that the clarity. And I've done a lot of guided meditations. I've done a lot of, you know, visualization, things of that sort over the, the years, but I had never had the kind of clarity that I had inside that egg. And mainly the senses, my smell, the sound, what I could hear. I mean, it was so clear. So I was really intrigued. So I watched this interview and I listened to her very closely. And then I watched a few more interviews and I thought, well, I'm going to go back. I will go back because there's something to that. I don't know what it is, but, you know, if I'm trying to be more open, then I will be more open to that. Right. So life goes on. The pandemic is in full force, you know, and I don't know. I wasn't that into the pandemic. And that sounds kind of strange being into it. But, you know, I just I couldn't even take it in. Like people were getting all obsessed and getting all riled up about stuff and arguing and the whole mask thing and the whole, you know, the whole thing was just spinning. And. I just decided, you know, I'm just going to take care of myself here and let them spin. I'll go to work. I'll do what I know how to do, but I'm not getting all caught up in that because I just can't. You know, when you've been already psychologically dipped down into the hell uh, system, (laughs) you don't want to have to add more stuff to it. And that's how I felt. I just felt like, oh, God. Let them whirl, you know, let the people do what they do. They have to have something to focus on because they can't focus on themselves because it's too fucking devastating to look at your own shit. So, oh, let's focus on this this virus for two years, you know, or whatever. That way we don't have to look at our own uh, devastation. That's kind of what it felt like for me. And so I just decided to keep moving forward. And I'd gotten a call from a woman that had lived down the street from me in Brevard. And she was my neighbor. And I had built her um, a water feature and some done some stonework. It was like two, three houses down from my house in Brevard. And I had actually you know, taking boulders down the street on a hand truck and, and to her house. And, you know, but anyway, she calls me and says, hey, you know, we've got this cabin up at Doggett Mountain and we really want you to do some work up there. Would you come meet me? And now that I was living in Asheville, uh, it was closer to me than she had asked me before. And I can always kind of put it off because it was pretty far from Brevard. But now that I was a little bit closer, I said, okay, I'll come look. So I met her up there and we looked at the space and, you know, she wanted like a a patio and and a place for a hot tub and like a fireplace. And so we sat out and ate some lunch and talked on the porch and kind of came up with a plan. And I said, all right, I will get to it when I can. And so anyway, uh, my nephew, Harrison, he was going to come help me from Boone and he came down and uh, we started this project. And I had I had already kind of started the project when he got there um, because he, you know, had a limited time that he could help me. But before that, I had done a job a couple of months prior 
in Brevard. I had gone all the way back to Brevard to do this job because I was sort of like desperate. Right after the pandemic hit, it kind of got quiet. It was sort of like crickets. And the people that were on my schedule sort of said, oh, we're going to wait. And so I got a little nervous. And during that, I had met this plumber back at the the house in Hendersonville with the retired psychiatrist. And this woman plumber had said to me one day, well, you know, I guess if you don't have any work, you can always work with me. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be a plumber. But, you know, that little voice in me was like, Jill, just be willing. Just be willing. If the universe puts this out here, then you need to be willing to say yes. And I said, okay. And so, sure enough, I had a week in there where I didn't have anything scheduled because it was just quiet. And so she said, hey, you know, I got this job, uh, but one of the first things I was going to help her with was actually at the retired psychiatrist's house back there again. And she said, uh, I, need to, I need to cut these pipes out of the basement, these old black metal pipes. And they were kind of, you know, they were probably like four inches. And the, the outer crust, that's all I know to call it, on these pipes was almost like a like a crust, like on a pie or something. But it was black and, and it was like, I don't know if the pipes were corroded and that's what created this, this texture. But she says, uh, hey, you know, you got that diamond blade and that grinder because she was talking about having to get up there and cut these things out. And I'm the one that suggested, I said, why don't you just take a diamond blade and cut them? You know, like make it easy. Like, why are you going to go through this whole process of trying to remove them and blah, blah. She's like, oh, okay. So she says, well, get your grinder and here, and, you know, and I put on the ear protection and the, the safety glasses and I get up on the ladder and she's standing down on the ground and I'm like, okay, so I climb up. She's going to pay me, you know, 20 bucks an hour, I think. It might have been 18. I don't remember, but I know it was like, I'll take it just because I, I need the money. So I climb up there and I've got this diamond blade and I start cutting into this black pipe. Well, honey, let me tell you, it was like Jed Clampett shooting the ground in the Beverly Hillbillies when the black oil came up out of the ground. That pipe just exploded black, oily, I don't know what, okay? And it came out of there, and it went all over me. It went all over the wall. It started pouring out on the floor. And it was this black, gooey, gross, I have no idea what it was, but it had been in that pipe for a million years and I was like, God, and, I'm, and she kind of laughed and says, now you know why I wanted you to get up there. And I'm like, thanks a lot. So I spend hours trying to clean this stuff off of the walls and the floor. It was absorbing into the place. We got the pipes out and it was just like miserable. And I'm like doing it, you know, but what it, what's happening to me is that it's making me grateful to do stonework. It's making me grateful for what I have because I'm thinking if I had to be a plumber, God, universe, whoever you are, if, if I have to be a plumber, then just shoot me in the head and get it over with because I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. Well, then 
she says, okay, we got this job, and it's going to be in the next several days, and to meet at this location, and so I show up, and there's this man, and he gets out of his minivan, and he's real, real tall, probably like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he's he's older, he's got long, kind of grayish silver hair, kind of a long, uh, like 80s hairdo, you know, like a kind of a mullet, uh, kind of a like that guy, that lead singer of, um, what is it, Pour Some Sugar on Me? Def Leppard, yeah. <laughs> so it's like that guy, that guy's hair, but gray, okay, and silver. So here he comes up the driveway. He's like, oh, are you Jill? And I'm like, yeah. And he shakes my hand, tells me his name. And uh, he's like, are you going to be helping us today? And I said, yeah. And he told me that the, the woman plumber had given you know, told him about me. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So I start following him and he's like, hey, do me a favor. Will you go back down to my minivan down there and grab that jackhammer? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And he's like limping. And that guy can barely walk up the driveway. You know, he's like got one hip kind of jacked out and I go down to the minivan, open up the back, and there's this big-ass Makita jackhammer. So I get the thing out, and it's heavy. But I carry it up to the basement of this house. And this young guy came out, this kind of hipster guy. And he's like, you know, talking to us. And, you know, he's probably like 28 and has bought a house. You know, and that's what just slays me about Asheville. There's like all these like hipster nation. There's all these young like IT people that I'm starting to meet that are moving here from California, New York, uh, Florida, but mostly California, it seems. Really smart, intellectual, younger people, but they can't really get in out of the rain like, I don't think there's a lot of common sense. It's not, I don't even think it's about common sense. I think it's about just doing anything tactical or physical or anything to do with uh, building or yard or landscaping or fixing anything. Like, they don't have a clue about the service industry, about how to do anything. So they just hire it all out. And fortunately, I mean, that's like good news for people like plumbers and landscapers and stone people and builders and carpenters and remodelers. Well, what's beginning to happen and during this pandemic is that the population in Asheville has outgrown the workforce. So if, you're, if you've got any kind of skill, then you are going to get busy and you're going to stay busy. And that was sort of like what was coming, but I wasn't aware of that yet. I'm just thinking like, who are these young people that are buying these houses? Like, I can't afford to buy a house in Asheville. What is happening? Where do they get the fucking money? I don't get it. How, how do they buy a house for $400,000 that's like a goddamn shack? You know, this house was like a piece of shit. And I'm looking at it thinking, why would you buy this for that amount of money? Well, we go downstairs and there's like this clog, I don't know, and there's a drain problem. And it's a basement floor that had, had 
you know, been, I guess it was like a subfloor built over a floor. And so we have to get down to the, the, the slab, the concrete floor. So we go through these floors and the rafters and all that, and we find this drain. And so apparently, I guess they had tried to snake this drain and all this. I don't know all the terminology. All I know is that they marked it and they go, get the jackhammer, Jill, and start jackhammering. So here's the woman plumber, the man plumber, the tall guy with a limp, and now I'm their gopher, okay? And I'm their grunt labor. And I'm thinking, what the fuck, man? I'm like two years younger than you. Like, what do you think? Like that I'm, you know, but hey, I was the young one. And so I get the jackhammer, and of course I do what I'm told because I'm on the clock. And see, I honor that. Like if I, I haven't worked for anybody or a company or anything in so many years, but I, but you kind of revert back to your teenage life when, you know, you worked for somebody or whatever. In my early 20s, you know, when I was working for the landscape company, if I'm on the clock, I'm going to work and I'm not going to question what you're saying. I don't say, well, what about doing it this way? Or what about, you know, I don't, I don't second guess the boss. I just do it, okay? So I'm in there jackhammering, da -da 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 -da, you know, and I start jackhammering this basement floor. And it's just jarring me, you know, and my hip, everything's kind of hurting. And I'm like, oh my God. But I go ahead and do it and I start getting the debris out of there and we start uncovering this pipe. It goes on and on and on and on. And so anyway, as I'm doing this, I'm just thinking to myself, what is all of this about? You know, I never can just cruise through a day with no thought. It's impossible to not have introspection going on and and you know trying to figure all this out on some level there's nothing really to figure out Jill Haney just do it and get the money and that's what I did and so finally you know a person calls me up this lady down in Brevard and I'd moved away from Brevard it's an hour now to drive back and forth from Asheville and the crazy part is I'd been driving from Brevard to Asheville for eight years to work and because most of the work was in Asheville well now it's reversed now I'm going to go back to Brevard but I had to it was like do you want to be a plumber or do you want to do the stone work okay I'll do the stone so this woman calls I go down and her and her husband wanted this big round patio and they it was a 50 foot radius it was big and you know once again I think people during that early stage of the pandemic, I think they were thinking that, ooh, we can get these service people to do stuff cheap because they're scared and we'll offer them this amount of money. And if they, you know, they, they better take it. And see, I felt in the position that I had to take the job because I didn't want to be the plumber. So we kind of struck up this deal and I wasn't real satisfied about it, but I thought, well, I'm going to always do a good job and I'll do my best. And, and, you know, the woman throws it out there that, oh, my husband really wants to help you. He's real fit. He's real in shape and he's real physical and he loves yard work and that should help on the labor. So you won't have to charge us as much. And let me tell you something. That right there is a red banner. It's a red flag. And I know that. But see, it was like being torn between do I say no 
or do I just go with it because I need this job and I need this money? And I said, oh, yeah, well, that'd be fine. You know, what the fuck? Well, anyway, so I get there to start the job and, you know, he's going to come out. And, and they had done some of the work. They had done some of the prep work, which was good. They kind of dug it out and they had some gravel down and they had a string line. So there was some stuff they had done to sort of prepare and they were doing the best they could you know, with homeowner 101 information, which is fine. I mean, I, I was very happy that I didn't have to dig. So I get there and I've got these massive big pieces of Tennessee flagstone in the back of my truck. They are as big and wide and long as the truck bed. I mean, they are big. And I'm thinking, okay, I got to get these down there and I'm going to have to balance them. I'm going to have to slide them out with all my might and slide them onto a wheelbarrow top and balance them and then take them down this trail. This is a challenge. This is not easy, but I have a lot of core. I have a lot of mental musculature I don't know how to explain how I do this. You can't explain it. It's sort of physics, but it's also internal. And there's something energetically uh, that happens with me when I have to move things that I can literally focus on it and do it in a way that seems effortless. I don't know how to put it into words. So I begin this process of pulling these huge, massive pieces out one at a time, get them on the wheelbarrow, and then I go down this trail as, as carefully as possible not to let this motherfucker slip off because if it goes to the ground, I'm done and I don't know how I'm going to get it back up. And that's the whole challenge is getting it down to the site without dropping it. So I start this process, and in the middle, out comes the husband through the carport. He's got a cigar in his mouth, kind of kind of a sawed-off cigar, kind of like a sergeant, like Sergeant Fury. And he's kind of got an angry scowl. It's almost like the wife is going to make him come out there and help me. And he says, yeah, you know, she wants me to help you and you need some help. And, and he's going to smoke that cigar and he starts taking a lighter and kind of trying to light that stubby cigar. And I'm looking at him like, are you fucking kidding? And so I start pulling one of these stones. Well, he jumps in and he starts pulling it with me. And the thing about a lot of men, and I'm not generalizing, this is experience and what I've witnessed over the last 36 years of my life. Men tend to be bulls in china shops. All their gusto and all their testosterone has to get in there and start jerking that rock around. Let me help you get out of my way. He starts, and I kind of stand back, and he can't move that rock. His little hands, he starts, because I look at his hands, and they're like half the size of mine, and I'm going, oh, Jesus. So he starts grabbing and pulling, and he can't budge it. And he kind of looked at me, and he, then he starts lighting the cigar again. And 
I said, you know, it, you have to let it tell you where it's going to go. You have to let the stone tell you because literally it will tell you it will. There is movement, but you have to be willing to let it move itself. I don't know how to explain it. So I take part of the rock and I shift it and it moves. And he's like, how'd you do that? And I said, you just got to get kind of get into it. So anyway, this starts and we get one of them out and I take it down the hill because I'm not going to dare let him try to balance that wheelbarrow. He'll drop that thing and there's a slope. It'll go down and that'll be the end of it. And I go, no, let me get it. So I take it down and come back. We're, we do maybe two with him helping and all of a sudden his finger gets caught. God damn it, motherfucker! And he's screaming and his finger gets smashed and he's shaking his finger and he's mad as a hornet. And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Listen, I got it. You don't have to help me. Well, I know, but we, you know, we, my wife told you I would. And I said, no, no, it's really okay. And I was so glad that he smashed his finger. Not that he smashed his finger. I was glad that he wasn't going to help me anymore because it was like, this is really going to interfere. Well, anyway, so I began this journey and I start and I get the materials and I start this patio and it's taken me a long time, but I'm doing it and I'm driving back and forth, back and forth to Asheville every night, an hour there, hour back home, sometimes more because of traffic on 26. But you know, you just do it. And as I'm going along, uh, they had two little puppy Shih Tzus. And they, I think their dogs were maybe not even a year old. And they were so cute. And, you know, that was the silver lining of this job. Because I really didn't like the whole driving part. And I didn't like the... There was a separation between me and the couple. I just never could connect. I felt like just the 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 old worker you know it just felt like this this weird um separation and sometimes that's fine but i don't know i don't know how to explain it it was just hard and so the little dogs were the thing that i kind of looked forward to every morning and they'd be out in their little side pen and i would pet them and say hey to them and they were really cute and so that was kind of uh, the best part of that job. And so, you know, now here we are. It's like summer. I'm up at Doggett Mountain, you know, and I'm I'm got my nephew and and I get this text and it was that woman from Bavard, you know, with the with the husband, and she sends me this text and it says my stepdaughter has rescued this dog and has had it for a couple of years, but it bit her little boy and she's got to get rid of it. And it's a Shih Tzu. And I remember you talking about how you kind of wanted another dog one day. Well, this dog is available and she sends me a picture of this little black and white, kind of gray and white Shih Tzu. And it's real cute. And I said, and I text her back immediately and I said, no, I'm not ready because my little dog had been gone for maybe like 10, 11 months. I don't think it was quite a year yet that Sissy had fallen off the bed and died instantly. And I was, you know, I was lonely here at this house. and But I still didn't feel like it would be a good time for me to get a dog. 
Well, she says, all you got to do is say yes, and my husband, the Sergeant Fury, will drive from Brevard to Lexington, Kentucky, and the daughter will drive down from Illinois and bring this dog, and the dog's name is Minnie, M-I-N-N-I-E, and I said, ah, you know, and my heart was saying yes, and my mind was saying no, 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 and she sends this picture, and I'm looking at it, and it's so cute, and she says, the dog, she was left abandoned in a house, and the had been used in a puppy mill, and um, they just moved out and left her, and neighbors heard her barking, and weeks later, they finally found her, and she was all grown over and matted. It was pitiful, and so I type in Y-E-S, yes, and then I said, if this were to happen, and now this was on a Wednesday, I said, if this were to happen, when would this happen? And she said, oh, this Friday. And I'm like, oh, hell. Well, sure enough, that husband drove to Kentucky and met the daughter and got that Shih Tzu. And they had that dog back at their house in Brevard on Friday night. And I ended up driving down from Asheville to my ex-partner's house. And I said, will you please go with me to go get this dog? And so she came with me. We went, we got the dog, and the dog was not happy. She kind of uh, snapped at the, the owner, the man, and she sort of snapped at me, and I was a little bit scared of her. She was very scared. And so I got her, and they had all this stuff, like all these belongings, you know, with this poor little dog, had like bags of shit, you know, necklaces and leashes and beds and toys and bandanas. I'm like, why does it need all this stuff, you know? But I took it anyway and treats and they were like telling me, you know, what it, what she eats and what, and I'm like, I know how to take care of a dog, but I just let them do what they had to do. And then I, we left and we get back and, um, over to, to the house where I used to live, and I was just going to spend the night there because it was already 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and so I was up most of the night with that little dog, and she was so scared. She was hiding under the bed, and it was a scary time for this little dog, Minnie, and so I finally uh, came on back to Asheville, and that's when my nephew showed up. And he walked through the door and he saw this new little Shih Tzu. And what's interesting about my nieces and nephews is they know me kind of by my dogs, you know. And my other dogs lived to be 17. So they had always had these dogs in their lives, you know. And now he walks in and he's like, oh, Minnie. And she was scared of him. She barked at him, but then eventually warmed up to him. So... He and I packed up the next morning to go to this new job, and uh, we were going to take Minnie with us. And the woman had given me a playpen. She'd give me all this stuff. So I had a playpen, and we took Minnie to the job site, and she was just having a fit. She was so scared. She jumps, topples over the playpen. Then I put her in my truck. She jumped out of the truck and landed in the woods and took off running. And so the day was kind of spent trying to contain this little shih tzu. 
and I was just like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, I don't, I really don't need a dog. And I, I was, I was kind of disturbed that I had made this decision. And then I just thought to myself, you know, Jill, you had your dogs for so long and they were so trained and they were tuned into you. Why don't you try to tune into this little dog? You know, this little, this little creature needs you. And sometimes, you know, things work out in really mysterious ways because I think the universe sometimes shows up in a way to help us to get out of our own misery and to get out of our own demise and destruction and self-absorption. And, you know, here I'd been here now for eight months alone in this house in this, you know, kind of city, I don't even really call Asheville a city, but I guess it is kind of a little city, but, you know, I felt like just, I was just existing behind this door, like I'm existing on this street, nobody knows me, I don't know anybody, like, if I died in here, nobody would even know it because I hadn't even told anybody where I lived or anything. But with this little animal, I kind of felt a connection and I felt like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus my energy into helping this little dog heal. And right there, I realized that that was where my own healing was going to start to take place. Sometimes we answer our own questions, or something answers it for us. And I began the journey with my nephew Harrison and Minnie, the Shih Tzu. Hammered is recorded and produced in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. It's narrated by Jill Haney, produced by Maggie Briggs and Jill Haney, and with sound design, editing, and music by Alexander Rodriguez. Our beautiful artwork was created by Lauren Kadic, and we'd like to send a special thanks out there to Minnie and Robin. You can check out our website, podcasthammer.com, and follow us on social media for updates. 